Hi, it's Mark. Before Tim and I begin our show today, we wanted to say we are thinking about all of you and hope everyone is staying healthy and safe in this unusual and trying time in our world. As more and more small businesses, and especially our favorite independent record stores, are feeling the impact of the current pandemic, please show them your love and support by ordering from them online, using curbside pickup, or purchasing gift certificates if they are offered. For example, you can reach out to Tim at his shop, Squeezebox Books and Music, on Facebook and also at squeezeboxbooks.com. We also wanted to thank our newest Mixcloud Select subscribers, Bonshare and 78SpinsRPM. Thank you to all of our Select subscribers and listeners for your continued support. Learn more about becoming a Mixcloud Select subscriber at our website, mixcloud.com slash stories from the stylus. We hope this episode will bring you as much joy as we had putting it together, and we hope to hear from you as well. We also would love to know how you're doing in your part of the world. Feel free to email us at hello at storiesfromthestylist.com. Okay, let's put on a record. Have you ever eaten seafoam before? No, God. It's a dessert. Oh, it's, seriously? Yeah. Like real seafoam? Uh, or is it something fabricated out of sugars and Of such? course. It's made out of gelatin. Oh, okay. It's like, it's got to be, I'm trying to think. We used to eat it in college. They always served it in the, you know, cafeteria. Yeah. Uh, it's like a sort of minty green, I guess, color. Oh, man. I would be all over that. Like the... <laughs> Like any, really? any, oh my god! Are you yes. a Jello fan or just any weird dessert? No weird colored desserts. I'm like, why is that dessert pink? I need to eat that dessert. That's awesome. Yeah, anything with like marshmallows and whipped cream, and it's kind of a neon green or a. That's so. That's oh, that's great. That's something we have in common. Welcome to Stories from the Stylus. Hey, I'm Tim. Hey, I'm Mark, and this is our podcast. We're going to be listening to 78 records today. Uh, literally not 78 records, <laughs> but records that play at 78 speed. And to do that, we're going to listen to at least five or six records that come from the 78 record period. Which is the 1890s through the 1950s, roughly. We've got a big window of time there. That is a big window of time. To select those records... Since we're recording in my humble abode today, Tim has brought over 10 records, and I picked out three. Random selection on my behalf. Out of my collection. I think you've got a wide range of records. Yeah, you got some great uh, older tracks in there as well, some tunes from the 20s. Let's listen to a song.
So, Mark, you dove into my stash first and uh, chose that goodie. You weren't very nice today. Oh, come on. That's what you said last time. I went through about, I'd say seven of the ten were like, oh, that would be, oh, wait, what's this? Oh, wait, well, that one. So it was hard to choose. Oh, I see. Um, (laughs) Harmony is the label. 246H is the record number. It was recorded August 24th, 1926. I don't mind being all alone. Lou Golden and his orchestra with a vocal by Billy West actually known as Billy Jones. Ah. Also, he recorded as Harry Blake, Billy Clark, Lester George, Duncan Jones, Reese Jones, John Kelly, Dennis O'Malley, William Reese, Victor Roberts, Billy West, William West, and Carlton Williams. (laughs) Just a few names. That blew my mind. I knew artists recorded under other names. This is all out of Wikipedia, and of course it has to be true if it's there. But that is 13 aliases that he recorded under. So there are a few things that intrigued me about this record. Uh, One, the independent labels I find really interesting because of, A, this reason that you find there are actual real artists, but they're playing under pseudonyms, and uh, usually just to make some money and to stay employed and so on. Also, I just find the indie labels interesting. You know, after Columbia and Victor's patents expired and everybody could start making more records, uh, there was always sort of interesting things that came out. And there was like a little bit of a weird stain on the label that intrigued me. (laughs) It looked a little bit like baby spit up. (laughs) So... So let's see what this record says. <laughs> like someone might have just spit on the record. <laughs> so what what did you think of the tune itself? Oh, it was peppy. It was happy-go-lucky. Um, I actually wrote down a name of a new product I'm going to start selling called Loneliness Be Gone. <laughs> Ladies, are you very lonely? Loneliness Be Gone. Suddenly people are dancing in the street and they're holding hands and swinging arms and running around because it's just feeling so great and life is wonderful. (laughs) Now that's it in a nutshell. And you said this was from 26, right? About thereabouts. Correct. So kind of pre-depression, still kind of boom boom time, happy-go-lucky. I will say that it's was just such a, a bouncy little tune up through the uh, first vocal chorus, the only vocal, I believe. I think there was just one vocal yeah. chorus. And I was expecting the vocals to come back, but the trombone part immediately afterwards was freaking beautiful. The first instrumental break after the vocal had this this chatty back and forth between the trombone and the kind of uh, the woodwinds, yeah. I think. The trombone would go, wah, and the woodwinds, wada, wada, wada. It was beautiful. It kind of like, it predated this whole kind of whiny, uh, Trying to say that Glenn Miller had this saxophone choir kind mm-hmm. of effect that was a little sappy and he kind of wore out in the, the billion records that he made. But I loved it in that little part. But no, immediately after that was yeah. maybe a clarinet part yeah. or something where the dude couldn't play for shit. Really? Like, oh, oh my I, God. I, <laughs> and like it busted in. I was like, oh, that was a great little trombone part. This it. tune is really moving along. And suddenly I was like, honk, hink, honk, <laughs> honk, honk, honk. I was like, what is this dude doing? <laughs> I loved his, but I loved his little solo. <laughs> And I don't know if if more of that was happening on these independent uh, recordings or not. 
But I find that like sometimes the band was like, okay, it's your solo. Okay, it's your little thing. And like they would just jump in front of the horn and play a little something in the middle of the song. Who knows if it was rehearsed or not. Um, but there's just this like, I don't know, there's just this honesty. That felt like a junior high schooler who's taking Spanish for the first time and his mother's like, Johnny, go, t- go say something in Spanish for your aunts and uncles. Talk in Spanish for your aunts and uncles. It could have been. I love that. No, I mean, I, I don't, it didn't detract me at all. Um, and I love the sound of the clarinet anyway, so I got that going for it. All right, a nice little ditty. Should we move to the next song? Please. Grandma was a kind old soul. She died so long ago. And when she left this world behind, she said, I hate to go. She said this life has been so sweet I got more than I gave If she could see us now She would turn over in her grave Out the cars and cocktail bars And places full of sin Grandma's turned over again All night dates at big estates And glasses filled with gin Grandma's turned over The devil stands with open arms, he wears a great big grin. He's got his trap door open, it's so easy to fall in. So grab the straight and narrow path before it is too late. Let grandma rest peaceful in her grave today. record Columbia 37083 with Curly Williams and his Georgia Peach Pickers singing Grandma's Turned Over Again. How many times are we going to make Grandma turn over in her grave? A lot. I, I think in this day and age, yeah, she's probably like a Tasmanian devil at this point. There you go. Absolutely. Well, that was the gist that I got from that song. It's like all these things we're going to do, playing dice, wearing sweaters. <laughs> Grandma's just turning around and around and around. I missed the sweater line. That's a good one. There was no, <laughs> those evil tight sweaters. It was the line of sweater girls with rolled up curls. Oh, nice. And I, you know, like you got to be careful because grandma's going to turn over in her grave. I <laughs> Devil's leaving the trap door open. Exactly. 
You got to be super careful. Preachy songs. You know, these aren't even, uh, it's not a spiritual necessarily, although a lot of this music came, you know, from that, uh, you know, that culture. But so many of these are just do this, don't do that, don't do that, do this kind of action. I didn't catch that. I didn't, that didn't strike me as a preachy song. Well, what are you talking about? It's like, we're going to make grandma turn over again if you do all these different things. I thought they were having a good time. Well, of course they are. Like poor old grandma. She didn't, she didn't see the light, but we, we have seen the light. Yeah. Jen. Should we? (laughs) I mean, it was such a happy tune, man. It was a very happy tune. Absolutely. So this record was recorded in 1946, uh, about the middle of the year. And in 1942, the band had already been invited to join the cast of the Grand Ole Opry. They were actually the first band to play uh, steel guitar. Ah, the steel guitar. That's why I pulled that record. The flip side is a tune called Pedal Steel or My Steel Guitar or something. It is Georgia Steel Guitar, which was, I think, a big hit for them as well. Um, But yeah, when I pulled this out, I, I love, I just love this early Western swing. It is, yeah. Right? In fact, that was one thing that really threw me for a loop. I may have said it previously, but so many collectors avoid these Red Columbia labels. And I honestly can also see why the quality of this record. I mean, we cleaned it. It looks pretty good, but these Red Columbias tend to be pretty scratchy. We're obviously in and after wartime, and I'm, I know that shellac quality like dropped significantly. Yeah, A lot of extra just, you know, floor sweepings and dirt and whatever else they could find were thrown in because so much was being used for the war effort. And so there was, there was one line in there and I may have to go back and play it again. Something, something grandma. It was like something grandma. And I can't, can't make the word out. That grandma is some, is tasteful in her grave? Is that the line? The, there is still time to pray yeah. that grandma can rest peaceful in her grave wow, today. Wow, good ears, dude. Yeah. Nicely done. Yeah, they sang that twice, and it just, like, I couldn't hear okay. it all. I, I take back everything I said initially about them, yeah. He, he's <laughs> hoping that we'll live cleaner lifestyles, for Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. You know? Oh, my goodness. I mean, plus, I'm sure this by this point, I mean, they've been on Grand Ole Opry for a while. I'm sure they're trying to tell folks to be happy and calm and life is good. Lay off the hooch. Absolutely, you know? So, yeah. No, I mean, anytime I see these kinds of records, I'll grab them, put them on. Um, They're bouncy tunes, and I have no really relation to any of this music at all. It's nothing I grew up with. It's nothing regional. Um, It just, I don't know, it just grabs me. I'm not sure why. You know, after having listened to lots and lots of music through the years, the thing that strikes me, the sound of these Western Swing records is obvious to a ear that's listened to a lot of jazz and so on that they are kind of they're very jazz oriented records they're like Hmm. they're kind of jazz combo things they're they're dudes that love small swing combos i mean this is the same time that the the gigantic glenn miller benny goodman dorsey brothers are playing this kind of polite dance music and this is hot stuff you know this is kind of like the the I'm trying to think of the exact part. It was right in the middle of the record when the vocal chorus comes in and there's just this beautiful guitar riff going, not even, it wasn't a riff, uh, these beautiful guitar lines going behind the vocalist the whole time. Mm-hmm. Then it swapped and the next verse, the the, the violin is going behind the vocalist the whole time. Yeah. So it's just the supporting complementary melodies that make the tune so exciting. 
rather than just the strum, 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 strum. Like that's going and it's kind of a peppy rhythm yeah. that they're doing, but it's all that really intricate, beautiful uh, instrumental melodies they're playing supporting the vocalist. The other thing that was fascinating about this to me was the, while it sounds kind of stereotypically country at the same time as being jazzy, the stereotypical country part being the fiddles, probably the the style of the singer, but the steel guitar in there, such a country thing. And you brought up that they were the people that introduced the steel guitar to the Grand Old Opry. Yeah. So this is actually super, super early incorporation of uh, steel, which is... Probably in pop country records today, you know, just a hint of steel guitar, oh just a gosh. hint of fiddle. Maybe bringing this full circle and why I gravitate to some of these songs and records, it, it's just simpler. It's, you know, it's less production. It's really no production, essentially. It's just the sound of the band, the artist coming together. I mean, everybody really relying on each other. Even by this point, when we're recording electrically, um, I don't think, and I don't think this happened till much later, right? We were putting um, different band members in different parts of the studio, like separating the drummer out. Right? Oh, right, yeah. Everybody was still in the same room, and they were playing like they were playing on stage. Um, it wasn't trying to get the perfect, you know, performance, as we heard even earlier with your critique of the uh, the clarinet. <laughs> the, the, the poor clarinet solo. The, the, yeah, the 12-year-old or whoever's nephew got let into it. like, okay, fine, he'll play on the song. But again, that's it's the rawness, it's the honesty uh, versus someone sweeping in, a producer, whoever, and cleaning it all up and making it sound perfect and every note is right. Um, I don't know. I, I make music in my job, and uh, part of the thing I love about making music is that I'm not a musician at all. The tools that I'm using, like GarageBand on, on an Apple uh, iPad, it does a lot of that work for me. It makes sure everything's in time, and it makes sure that everything sounds clean, and it's all in the same key, and I can't really make too many mistakes other than what I like or don't like in that really what is more electronic music kind of coming out of the device. So I do like that side of things too, uh, but at the same time, just having this really kind of sweet sound, and even if it's a little preachy, just to remind us to be good people, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, speaking of all things kind of uh, rough and raw, I think I have another track that's going to pull out some raw beauty. Let's do it.
punk rock circa 1953. Oh my God, absolutely, man. Like that was Oh, Mosh just... Pit City, man, right there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's a good thing I didn't come over and head bash you or something in the middle of that song. That would have been, you could have like done that shoulder kind of check. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of that going on in those Mosh Pits. Okay, uh, you picked this from my collection, but I still have to ask you, who was that? That was Sugar Boy and his Cane Cutters, a tune called Overboard, on Checker Records, 1953, and it's Checker Records number 783. Did you learn anything about who Sugar Boy is? I did, and it blew my mind. Okay. <sighs> Seriously, I, I was so excited when I read this. I was like, a song called Overboard, that's got to be pretty pretty fun, right? Yeah. And full disclosure, when we just put it on to do a quick level test on yeah. this record, I asked you to take it off. I was like, no, man, we got to play the other <laughs> side. This song is too insane. And you insisted. Absolutely. That's the rules, man. You picked it, you play it. I'm so glad you did. So this guy's name is James Crawford. 1953, he's 19 years old. He and his buddies have a band from New Orleans called Chapaca Shawi, which means mm. in Creole, we aren't raccoons. This is getting better and better as it goes. <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. Holy cow. They are signed by Checker, and uh, DJ gives them this new name of Sugar Boy and his Cane Cutters. Hmm. Uh, I don't know where this falls in their discography. I mean, the guy's 19 years old. It's yeah. got to be one of the first or second records for sure. But this is 1953. 1954, when he's 20 years old, he writes Ico Ico. I was like, holy cow. This is the guy who wrote Ico Ico. Wow. Of course, that song blew up. Tons and tons of cover versions. Probably one of the most well-known New Orleans tracks. Absolutely. So I I didn't know, I wasn't familiar with this guy's name as a performer at all. And he he was around for about 10 years or so, but in the mid to, mid to late 60s, uh, got a terrible beatdown by the cops. Mm. Uh, I read in a brief article and uh, was hurt so badly that he just, he bailed on the music industry yeah. and went on to do other things. And so late in life, you know, being the guy who wrote Ico Ico, they, they brought him back to New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Fest and so on, did some performances when he was much, much older. Jumping back to the energy of this song, however, just out of freaking control. Yeah. And another terrible sax solo. There, yeah, I was thinking terrible. like, I wonder if he, that guy was related to the clarinet guy. <laughs> Maybe it's the same guy. It's his grandson. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's 30 years later. I'm, and I'm trying to recall where I got this record, most likely from Logan Hardware or from Electric Jungle right there, now current iteration. That's usually where I've been getting most of my checker records, although I'll typically write that on the sleeve and I didn't write it on there. But what did I write on the little corner of the sleeve? Can you see it? Uh, New Orleans style, overboard, hotness? A hot mess. Oh, a hot mess. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> It truly was a hot mess. Absolutely. I, I so I put that thing. In fact, that's what I was probably so distracted by the like energy, uh, the craziness of this song that I just couldn't even write anymore. It was just like holy. I, all right, what was that? Just put that note down. I'll move on to my next record. He was also Johnny One Note. He he oh, yeah. that one note. Yeah. Man, yeah, you were talking about like mosh pit. I. I, I and I like I'm trying to imagine what it must have been hearing that song live. Totally perfect segue because not cleaned up, not produced well, not you know it's just like these guys got in a room and just laid it out. Yeah, that that tune was ready for some crazy Lindy Hop 
you know, ridiculous dancers. Have you ever seen clips from that film Hell's a Poppin'? Oh, the, yeah. yeah where, oh, absolutely. Where they're just throwing each other over the shoulders and so on. Yeah, that's the and same so kind of fast. insanity. Like yeah. the pace of that, the, their moves and everything is just nuts. What were they doing on the dance floor at this point? Was it even that structure of a dance or were these, was it just the guys and the women cleared out because it was too crazy? Have you ever been in a mosh pit? I have not been in a mosh pit. I have been on the edge of many, many mosh pits. On the edge. You on were... the edge. I'm that guy with the, you know, the forearm out, like building the fence. So everybody's, really? everybody's bouncing yeah. off. Yeah. But you but, never dove in. But to dive in and just, you know, yeah. bang heads with somebody yeah. never appealed to me once. What were you afraid of? Uh, yeah, yeah, I wasn't <laughs> afraid. I, I wasn't interested in, you know, getting bashed around. Oh, man. I, um, that... Like to me, like a mosh pit was a significant part of my youth, but I, I wasn't in it all the time. I mean, I knew guys who were really heavily into like the punk scene. This would have been like uh, early 80s. That that's like where the energy to me was at. You know, there was I think only once. No, I don't think I ever bled ever, ever. You know, it was never that kind of a heavy thing. And those yeah. were some of the buddies that I knew. I mean, they'd come out with bloody noses and all of that. But just to thrash around and really banging against guys um, was phenomenal. You know, it was such an energetic thing to be a part of. And it was like, I, you know, I, it appealed to me. What can I say? Like, I, I, honestly, I've never even been in a fist fight. Yeah. You know, have you ever been in a, fi a fight? Like I have a not fight? been in a fist fight. I, okay, no? so we're, we're nice guys. We're gentlemen, <laughs> you know, which is, although maybe there's some gentlemen who've, who have, but I'm a little surprised. I was about to say disappointed. That I never dove in? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to disappoint there you. <laughs> it just seems like, a, 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 like an experience. Like you just, I mean, I don't know. It's probably too late now. I mean, I saw so many of those shows in basements yeah. and small clubs and whatever, even or even big arenas right. and so on. But I bet you saw, I mean, certainly a lot more than I ever saw. Yeah, but no, never had the urge to uh, dive in and bang around. I, I will say this though: that when I was going through some physical therapy for you know a while, it was incredibly painful. Um, the music that I would put on to like, you know, deal with that physical therapy was basically any punk or hardcore music that came close to that is yeah. what I would listen to. It was like a mindset I had to put myself in to say, like, I'm in that that mosh pit right now, and I'm, like, banging around, and the energy's flying, and I'm not necessarily, you know, <laughs> here laying on this table in excruciating pain. I would crank that music up. Oh, yeah, it was still incredibly painful and hurt a hell of a lot. But something about that, like that memory and that visceral sort of feeling. Wow. Got you through. Got me through it. Yeah. It was then afterwards I'd put on like the new age music and like calming, relaxing, you know, so I could cry a little bit and, you know, that kind of thing. Thank you. 
That's Victor22092. I've Got a Feeling I'm Falling by Thomas Waller on a Victor Scroll label and recorded as an orthophonic recording. In other words, this was when Victor was just beginning to record their music electronically, and that was in 1929, August of 1929. Wow, earlier than I would have thought. Yeah. These early Victor scrolls, there's a series that will say the letters V-E on them, and accordingly, I think there were even some Victor scrolls that were recorded electrically, but there's no mention of it unless you actually look it up uh, in the records. It's called, I've Got a Feeling I'm Falling. I I had a feeling I was falling asleep. Yeah, that bad, really? (laughs) <laughs> I, the the only thing that that was kind of good for that is I I was envisioning this wonderful little you know uh, silent film in my head <laughs> of the couple like guy waiting on the park bench for a date and she shows up and they go arm in arm you know wandering around like yeah. uh, Central Park buying flowers getting you know lemonade mm-hmm. I saw a, a beautiful little stereotypical scenario. It's sweet. Without the visual, I was. Uh, it was. It was a little bit of a snooze fest. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> I'll be honest. No, I can see that. I mean, his his later stuff, especially when he's singing, the history of sort of what Bats Waller, as we know him now, was doing, um, which is sort of the this uh, kind of Harlem stride style, um, which of course laid the groundwork for you know all kinds of music and jazz and things like that too. Yeah, he was so prolific. Too. Yeah. yeah, and the, you know even how this music sounds and in the recording itself and that's that's i think another thing that we can really begin to listen to again not only in this early music in 78s but i think in as i was saying earlier in 78s in general is being in that room with that artist even just the tone of the of the sound of the piano we're just there with the piano in the room it was a great recording yeah i took piano lessons for at least 10 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I started pretty young, maybe six or seven, actually. And the reason I bring all of this up is because I'm glad that I had those lessons. In fact, they probably lend themselves very much to maybe why I listen to music today and the kinds of music that I enjoy. You play instruments, or you you still play? I can never remember. Uh, I don't play regularly, no, yeah. but I played a variety of things. I played trombone in high school. I taught myself to play the accordion. I took piano lessons as a kid, taught myself guitar as a kid with the fiddle for a while. That, that's an interesting point, actually, I think, is, is how we are introduced to styles of music uh, via what? So is it a, a commercial that was popular in the 1980s that was doing like an old kind of vote dodeo 20s kind mm-hmm. of vibe? Was it a, you know, even if it's hip hop or something in, you know, a TV show that you like? Or it's fascinating how you uh, are introduced to things. I was thinking about this the other day because... For some reason in my head, I had uh, a song from Godspell mm-hmm. in my head, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to pull up that album on YouTube while I was driving around to listen to the whole thing, which I hadn't listened to since I was a uh, probably a kid. Sure. And it was one of the only two pop records my parents had in the household was Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm-hmm. And one of the fascinating things about Godspell, while it's nowhere near as strong a show by any means as Jesus Christ Superstar, is that the music is all over the place. Hmm. 
there's this great, you know, uh, banging gospel tambourine kind of song. There's a 1920s kind of song. <laughs> the kind of, you know, singing through the megaphone kind of song. And uh, I, anyway, it just went on and on. And my jaw was kind of dropping. There was this beautiful R&B song that was like mm. a Donny Hathaway song yeah. who I love. Yeah. It was like a mini sampler of all these different styles. And I'm sure that was their goal at the time. Let's like draw in different cultures and different people and different backgrounds and we'll mix it all up. Do you, you think know? that's what laid the groundwork for a lot of the different kinds of music that you listen to today? Or? Oh, I really do. Because yeah. I was obsessed with that record. Yeah. And, I, and I couldn't have told you at the time because I didn't have any background in that. Sure. You know, it's like when I was a teenager and I loved Bow Wow Wow. I thought mm. Bow Wow Wow was a <laughs> great band. And I actually do think they've still stood the test of time. Yeah, but they, as, have, they have that one song, right? <laughs> I, I want candy. They got a lot more than I want candy. <laughs> As the years go on, I learned that Malcolm McLaren had incorporated uh, traditional uh, like Balinese music into it. Hmm. These Ketchak monkey chants that these guys all use. He completely ripped off a super popular Brazilian song by Gilberto Gil and just hmm. put English lyrics to it, things like that. So I was being introduced to all these different stuff, African high life, mm -hmm. um, all that kind of stuff that was popular in England at the time. For me, it was it was the introduction of the first Specials album. I had heard nothing like it before. And what was I listening to? It was all the stuff on the radio, the top 40, right? It was the Casey Kasem list, which was basically that, you know, rock pop, you know, that was being played in the early 80s. And then I hear this sound that I've just, uh, you know, to this day is like... It's like someone plugged me in, you know, after being alive for 11 or 12 years and like never been plugged in before. You and I are on the same wavelength today. Yeah. So we grabbed three records at random. Yeah. I didn't grab Fats Waller, but I grabbed this record called Pat Flowers and His Rhythm mm -hmm. and didn't know anything about him. Just the, the song looked kind of cool that we're about to play. But yeah. it turns out he's a, uh, a friend of and played with Fats Waller. Of course. Here we go. Shoe shine shuffle is an eight beat rhythm and wax. You want a shoe shine, shoe shine, shuffle up a new shine. Shoot the booty to me, shoe shine. Shoe shine shuffle is a boot black boogie woogie shine of a jack.
shoe shine, shake my feet. When he slicks your kicks, he makes the chicks all stop the street. Keeps the riffraff ripping while the eyebrows make with the feet. You want a shoe shine, shoe shine, shuffle up a new shine. Shoot the booty to me, shoe shine. Shoe shine, shuffle is the boot black boogie with shine him up jack. The shoe shine shuffle keeps the riffraff riffing and the highbrows bringing their feet. That was uh, uh, more what I would expect from a Fats Waller type record. But then again, this is 17, 18 years later from that Fats Waller that we listened to. What year was this? This is 1947. Yeah. So the the record number as well. The, this is on RCA Victor 20-2930. The shoe shine shuffle. So we compare that to Curly Williams and his Georgia Peach Pickers. Mm-hmm. I would almost say that that was a year earlier, but still that same kind of energy and, and, and vibe. Oh, the Peach Pickers, more energetic by far, I think. More loosey-goosey. This, this was a little still by the book. Yeah. Light, yeah. fun. Right. By the book. But flying, though, right? I just was impressed with the lyrical skill to uh, phrase after phrase write about boots and wax and uh, shoe black and, you know, these sorts of things. Do we know if... If the singer was also playing the piano, or was it a separate person? Uh, let me see. Vocal refrain by Pat Flowers. Yeah, that's him. So and, he's and playing piano. and singing most yep. yeah at the same time, right? And definitely something that again, I'm going to keep reiterating this point. You, <laughs> you multi take <laughs> listeners, you, you multi track people, which is really just the fact that he was singing and playing yeah one take live in the studio yeah he he worked with fats waller when fats waller passed away right about this time the late 40s i think fats waller's manager picked up pat flowers and tried to make him the new fats waller this is boogie woogie music right Mm -hmm. i've tried collecting it and i (laughs) it's like i've you know like i i tried steak tartare once um (laughs) actually i I think i like steak tartare i think i do like steak tartare maybe a little more than boogie woogie as as that (laughs) As that sounds. And here's the thing, like, I want to like Boogie Woogie. I find, though, that I'll put on, like, three or four of them, and it's like, oh, my God, I don't want to listen to that Boogie Woogie for, like, another two years at this point. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I don't hate it, and it's, it, you know, really is, like, given us the birth of so much music, um, and I've bought even LPs at one point, and it was... I get through two or three songs, and unless something really innovative or really interesting is going on... 
It's like I'm, I'm just listening to the same bass line. Yeah, I mean, that's not too far off from five, six years later with a Bill, Bill Haley rock and roll kind of vibe. You know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you, though. The Boogie Woogie piano, not always the most uh, engaging. What was your favorite record from today? If you had to pick one of the favorites. Oh my God, Overboard. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I love anything that's out of freaking control. Oh, but like. But hands you, you wanted above. to change that though. I did. I, I thought. It, I I thought it was shocking. It was just shocking. <laughs> Listeners wouldn't want to listen to such a hot mess, as you put it. We'll we'll put on a warning. Yeah, before we play this song, for listeners with more sensitive musical ears, <laughs> you may want to skip this track. But as always, I've had a blast. Yeah, I as well. And this has been fun. I, I, I hope we do it again. I think we should. All right, good. We'll do that. I'll see you soon. See you soon. Thanks for listening to Stories from the Stylus. I'm Tim Peterson. And I'm Mark Harley Wilson. Our show is edited by the magnificent Mr. Mark Harley Wilson. And produced by the magnificent Tim Peterson and myself. We want to give a special thanks to our friends, family, and you, the listeners, for tuning in, and also to Steve Rashid for some technical assistance. And if you'd like to hear more of our episodes, follow up with us, leave us a comment. Please follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or find us on our website, storiesfromthestylus.com. Enjoy what you've heard on this episode. We encourage you to go out and dig for the tunes yourself. A lot of our records were from very small shops as well as independent record stores. Show them your love and your support. Take some chances and it will pay off. Nothing to do all the day through. Nothing to do but worry about you. Next time on Stories from the Stylist. And I was like, what the f*** is that? <laughs> like, what am I listening to? It's like she this, assassinated an alien. <laughs> I know. It's like a song about stalking. It's a song about murder. It's a, It's like... It's light. It's, light? It's light and bubbly. It's, it's so sweet. Yeah. The darker the song gets. Next time on Stories from the Stylist. Next time on Stories from the Stylist. Next time on Stories from the Stylist. <laughs>